All right, good morning, everybody. Hope that you guys are having an incredible morning this morning. Uh, I just want to thank the praise team. They come up here every Sunday, and they just they pour their hearts out in worship. Let's just, let's just give them a round of applause thanking them. They do awesome. They practice throughout the week. They're just, uh, just thank you guys for what you do. Uh, this morning, I know it's not about me, but this is a, a really exciting day for me personally. One, I get to share the word with you this morning, which I'm always excited about. Uh, and two, I get to, uh, or we get to dedicate uh, my son at the, at the end of the service. So it's just a really special day. Uh, not only that, I got my family from Mesquite. Shout out to you. I got my family from Atlanta. Shout out to you. Thank you for being here. And uh, this is, uh, again, this is a special day. So Anyway, moving on. Guys, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and pull out your Bibles this morning. All right, lift them up. You know, you know how it is. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Joel. I'm part of the, uh, the staff, the team here at the River Church, and so I'm going to be uh, speaking to you today, our senior pastor, giving him a little breather. But what we're doing is we're, ha- we're right in the middle of a sermon called The Gospel of John. You may see that right up there. Uh, this is one of those books that's just incredible. The second you start reading it and you start reading the stories, uh, it really is one of those life-changing type of books. And we've, we've been having a blast going through it. I'm really excited about it. You've got your Bibles. I want you to know uh, this morning that what you have in your hand or what you have in your app is a gift. I spoke with a, uh, a guy this week. Um, he, was, uh, he owns a Chick-fil-A in McDonough, Georgia. So we were just talking, right, and, uh, and uh, he came to where I work, and we were sharing about how his Chick-fil-A is his ministry, and I thought how cool that was. You know, there's people out there like, I want to be a preacher. I want to be this. I want to be this. He's like, I want to own a Chick-fil-A, and if you're like me, you know I love Chick-fil-A. So, you know, I'm just listening to him like, yeah, 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 and, uh, and so he, he owns a Chick-fil-A, but not only that, uh, he goes to China and ministers to the underground church in China. And what he does is, instead of bringing in like physical Bibles, like what some of you have in your hands, he takes in MP3s with solar panels on them. And on the MP3 players, uh, it's the gospel in Mandarin and Chinese. And they go and distribute these MP3 players in these villages, uh, places that don't have power, it has the solar panel. I was just blown away. He said, that way we don't, you know, we're not getting busted with the physical Bibles, but we're able to share the gospel in this way. And I just, I just reminded every day about how valuable this is. You can ask Mike, I text him this week. I'm reading, I'm reading what I'm sharing with you this morning and I can't sleep. I told him, I was like, bro, I can't sleep. I was like, what I'm reading has power. Like it's incredible. Like it's, it's impacting my life in such a way where I can't even sleep right now. And I want you to know this, this book is the book of life. The stories in it are not just your cute little Sunday school stories. This is history. And I feel like I always say that. You probably hear me say that all the time, but I just want to reiterate that because when we're reading this, this is not just some made-up story. This is a historical account. So uh, we're going to kick it off in chapter 2 this morning. I want to go ahead and read it, all right? If you've got your Bibles, chapter 2, we're going to read verse 1 through 11 this morning. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. 
And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this incredible story of of your life and the documentation that we have. God, thank you for this church. God, thank you how this, this story and this book and John has already transformed our lives so far. God, I pray this morning that our hearts will be sensitive, that our mind and hearts will hear your voice this morning. God, we just thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm just going to recap real quick. Listen, John uh, 1, 1, do you guys remember that passage? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That was two weeks ago. Remember how we kind of broke it down? Uh, In the beginning was a promise, and the promise was with God, and the promise was God, that Jesus was God. And we talked about how John, instead of, unlike the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John comes out and just says, hey, listen, from the jump, we're talking about Jesus is God. All right, the other gospels, they say, they go through the lineage, they connect him with David, which is right. But John does something different. He shows up in his book and he says, look, Jesus is God. I want to save you the headache of trying to figure it out like I did. You know, disciples, I'm sure it was tough. The disciples are like, man, this guy is doing some incredible. I don't even know what, I, what is going on. John's like, hey, I'm going to save you the headache. He's God. And so anyway, he kicks it off with that, right? And then he says the incredible thing, the word became flesh. Unlike anything any culture had ever heard, there was a God that actually took on flesh. He didn't show up as a ghost or show up as a human. He actually showed up in physical form. He took on flesh, which was incredible. It was something different, right? And so he talked about that. And then we also talked about how his own people didn't recognize him, right? He, he chose to reveal himself to the Jewish people. And when he showed up, he showed up as a baby in swaddling clothes, Right? They were expecting like a dude with a sword walking through Rome just slaying the Romans, right? But he showed up as a baby, right? He shows up Jesus, and he's in robes, and he's walking around. And this was, this was unlike what they were expecting. And so we talked about that when Mike preached uh, last Sunday. He began to share with us about John the Baptist. You guys remember John the Baptist? Not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. This was the crazy man, remember? He's out in the wilderness. He's, he's wearing camel fur, eating locusts. It's crazy. And so he's out there, right? And uh, we talked about kind of his significance. Uh, I always look at it like a processional. You ever watch the Macy's Day Parade? You know the big guy always comes last? Like, it's the same with this scenario. John the Baptist shows up, and he, he's letting everybody know, look, make way, repent, be baptized. The guy's coming. The one's, he's coming, right? And uh, he's doing something. Remember, uh, Mike was talking about how he was baptizing Gentiles, Maybe he's throwing the Jewish people for a loop. Like, it was crazy. Like, he's out here saying all this stuff. Not only that, uh, that he's, he's fulfilling prophecies, the, the voice crying out in the wilderness, but he's, like, doing things that no one's ever done, right? And then John the Baptist, remember, he's there, and then he sees Jesus, and he says something unique. He says, there he is, the Lamb of God. He's the one. He's the sacrifice. He's the one that's going to take away our sins, and then he baptizes Jesus, the great part, I, Mike, you did an incredible job pulling this out because I thought it was incredible uh, kind of what happens here. 
uh, when he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, John the Baptist, his disciples, the guys who followed his teaching, they were like, well, I'm going to follow John the Baptist. And then John's like, nah, he's the one. They're like, oh, okay, we're going to follow this guy. And so they start following Jesus, right? And they're walking behind Jesus. You know, Jesus is just, he's cruising. And he's like, and he turns around and says something powerful. He says, what are you looking for? Right? You know, and that, and that, that speaks to us. You know, there are people in this room, what, what are you looking for? Jesus is concerned about what you're looking for. He's concerned about what you may be dealing with or, or, or what you're trying to fill in that missing spot in your life, right? And Jesus is like, what are you looking for? And that, that's such a powerful, a powerful, powerful message there. And so uh, John the Baptist's disciples are following Jesus, and then Jesus begins to assemble the squad. All right, y'all remember this part? He begins to assemble the team, right? And he goes and gets Andrew, and then Andrew goes and gets Peter, and Peter goes and gets Philip, right? And then Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. And y'all remember Nathaniel. He goes and gets Nathaniel. He's like, Nathaniel, listen, this is the guy. This is the one. He's, he's the savior of the world. He's come, right? He's the guy that, from prophecy, he's the one from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, like, mouths off. Y'all remember this? He's like, what good thing can come from Nazareth? Right? Just, first of all, don't ever just try to punk Jesus like that. Don't ever come up to Jesus and be like, what good comes from Nazareth? Because uh, Jesus turns around and kills him with kindness. He sees Nathaniel and he's like, look. There's the man full of integrity. You know, Nathaniel's like, what? Like, how do you even know me? Right? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Mike, when you were preaching this message last week, I, I was kind of thinking about that moment. And this is me kind of reading into the text. The scripture doesn't say this, but I wonder why it was such a powerful moment for Nathaniel. Like, why was that? Because right after he says, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel goes, he's like, you're the God, you're the son of God, you're the, you're the great teacher, you're the king of kings. And you're like, wow, that was a big shift. I, I began to wonder, like, what if, like, again, this is me, but maybe Nathaniel was struggling. Maybe he was going through something. He was under that fig tree, right? And he was asking God, where are you? Do you even see me? Do you even know who I am? Do you care? And in that moment when Jesus looks at him, he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Maybe that's why he responded in that way. I don't know, but I'm just saying, that's such a powerful uh, switch. He goes, you are the son of God. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord. And so anyway, we heard about Nathaniel, right? And this was what's so cool just about this, about this story is that Jesus is assembling the team. He's getting these guys together. I'm just going to throw this right here on the floor. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully I don't slip on it. Uh, he's getting these guys together. And he's like this. Nathaniel's like, you are the king of kings. You are the one. And Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he's like, really? Like that impressed you? Like that was cool? He's like, you're going to see greater things than this. He goes on to say, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're about to see some incredible stuff. You're about to see some lame people walk, people who haven't walked in years. You're about to see some people who have been blind their whole life see you're about to see some lepers and sick people get healed. You're about to go on a mission of a lifetime. And so I'm sure if, if they're like me, I get a little excited. I'm sure they're getting pumped. They're like, we're going to see greater things than this? Man, we are pumped. This is going to be awesome. This is the mission of a lifetime. We're going to go flip the religious system upside down. It's going to be incredible. I can't wait. We're going to see angels ascending and descending. 
this is going to be crazy. And Nathaniel's getting all the disciples hyped up. And we're like, hey, this is awesome. Jesus, I, we can't wait. Listen, we got to tell them who you are. We got to go to the, like, the temple. Let's go to the temple, right? Hey, and let's tell them, hey, Jesus is here. Let's go do some crazy stuff, right? And they go to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, what are we going to do, man? We're so excited. We're pumped up. And Jesus is like, well, uh, I got to go to a wedding. We got to go to a wedding. <clears throat> and then I can imagine like, what? Are you serious? Like, we got to go to a wedding? Like, nah, nah, Jesus. No, seriously. We got to go to the Pharisees, Sadducees. We got to let them know. He's like, nah, guys, we got we to gotta go to a wedding. I, I, I told him I was coming, and uh, my mom's expecting me. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're like, we got to go to this wedding. And if you're like me, you know, like, I'm wondering, like, what? Check out verse 1. It says, on the third day, I'll grab this one. The third day, a wedding took place in Cana. You know what's funny? I Google Cana. Don't do that right now on your phones. But uh, if you Google Cana, I was just like, what's up with the city Cana? It's a completely like insignificant city. <laughs> like if you Google Cana, the only thing that makes Cana famous is this story. Like Cana's in Galilee. I Googled it and it just said this was the place where Jesus did his first miracle. So I'm like, man, it's crazy. It's like a completely significant, insignificant town in all of history. It even made me laugh because Nathaniel tried to punk Jesus and was like, what good can come from Nazareth? But Nathaniel's from Cana. Like, come on, man. Like, come on. You're from Cana. It's insignificant. You know, they, they should have Googled it or something, Nathaniel. But anyway, they're in Cana, right? But isn't it like Jesus to take something so insignificant and make it significant? You know? I don't know if that resonates in your life. That's part of the, that's really the main reason I became a Christ follower. It's because as a kid, I loved adventure. You know, my parents are here. I mean, they can vouch for, y'all want to come up? No, I'm just kidding. Like, uh, they, listen, I, I was all about adventure. I love adventures. And in my life, I wanted to be a part of something big. I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. And when Jesus, I realized Jesus could offer that me, uh, offer that to me. And he can make what I felt like was significant, insignificant, my life, he can make it more significant. Like, that's a part of the reason I ran after Jesus, because I wanted to be a part of something huge, significant. And so when we look at things like this, where Jesus, you know, when he went and got Andrew and Philip and Peter, where did he go? He went to the uh, divinity school? Nah. Nah, he didn't go to the seminary. He didn't go to Westlake. He didn't go anywhere like that. Where he went, he just got them good old boys, the fishermen. You know, people that maybe the Sadducees, Pharisees looked at were like, those are some insignificant dudes. Think about it. These dudes are some of the most famous people in history. I mean, we've been talking about MLK, and we've been talking about the presidents that we have here in the U.S. We've been talking about all these people, and they're pretty famous throughout history. Well, I'm talking like dudes who have been talked about for like 2,000 plus years, okay? Talk about making someone who maybe seem insignificant and make them significant. We're talking about some incredible people. And so if you're in this room this morning and you're like, you feel down about yourself or you feel like maybe your life is insignificant or maybe you lack purpose in your life, just know Jesus is saying, come and see, follow me. I want to make you significant. I want to make you, I, I, I want you to have purpose in your life. And so Anyway, whew, that was about Cana. But if you're like me, you're asking the question, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, man, this is the, this is the alcohol passage. 
<laughs> yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. I was like, this is an alcohol pet. Jesus is, you know, he's going to tell us if, if alcohol is good or bad right now, you know, and I, I don't even really know if I'm going to go there. Part of me thinks that this passage is even about that. If we take a look at it, I'm asking the question, what is Jesus doing at a wedding? And what's he doing turning water into wine? I think there's a simple answer. Look in verse 2. Tell me why Jesus and the disciples were at this wedding, why they went. You can just, anyone can just, they were invited. You'd be surprised where God shows up when he's invited. Think about it for a minute. You'd be surprised where God shows up when he's invited, not just in these four walls. I don't know if you've ever experienced God outside of Sunday morning or outside of these four walls before. Let me tell you a story real quick. So, wow, I really hope that you listen to the rest of my sermon after this. But uh, So there's a story. I was in college, and I get ripped on a lot whenever I preach because I tell stories about when I was a kid. And so, listen, this is a step up because I was in college. Uh, but anyway, I was in college, and there was this, I was a part of this thing called a strip club ministry. Okay, <laughs> I know you're like, strip club ministry, wow, wow, that's crazy. No, it wasn't like what you think. Uh, there were some college students, and we would go with one of our professors, and we'd walk around in the street right outside of a strip club, okay, and we would pray for people and talk to guys that were about to go into these strip clubs. Because if you think about it, places like that are full of broken people, and we, we wanted to reach out to these people, right, and these guys. And so, man, I had a rough week. I'm just going to be honest. There was a, it was a rough week before I went down there. And I was struggling mentally, spiritually. I was just kind of like, God, I'm here, I'm available, but, you know, I had a rough week. It's like Thursday night, 10 p.m., you know, out in front of these clubs in Jackson, Mississippi. And so I show up. I'm the only one out in front of this club. I got a hoodie on because we weren't, like, picketing or anything. I'm dressed up in a hoodie. And this is kind of my approach. Judge me if you want to. But I would yell out to a guy in the parking lot. I'd say, hey, man, can I give you something? You know, <laughs> who knows what they're thinking. I just leave, I just leave it to y'all's imagine. I don't even know what he's thinking. I just say, hey, can I give you something? And a lot of times guys would be like, what? Walk over here. And one night, this night, this guy heard me and he came over. I always hand him a track. If you know what a track is, it's like the gospel message in a little uh, booklet. It's like a little magazine. And so he walks up to me and I hand him this track, right? And uh, before I could say anything, he said, he looks at me, he's staring at me, he said, what are you doing down here? You know, I'm like, uh, I'm like, man, me and my friends were praying for people. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And uh, he said, you don't know me. He said, but I'm a Sunday school teacher. You know, inside I was like, ooh, I'm like, ooh. I'm like there's no way there's a Sunday school teacher at this strip club. There is no way. But, you know, I was trying to play it cool. You know, I was like, I was like, man, what are you doing down here? <laughs> and he was like, and then he just like opened up his heart. And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't even know if I'm saved. And, uh. I told him, I was like, man, I was like, I'd love to pray for you. And he was like, yeah, will you pray for me? I want to be, I want to be saved. I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'm like, well, I was like, I'd love to pray for you. I can't step on the property or I'll get arrested. And so anyway, he was like, all right, well, I'm going to pull my car around. So I told my, my homeboy that was there, I said, hey, watch me. Cause he hopped in like this big black SUV, <laughs> you know, and if it's like Thursday night, 10 PM at the clubs, he hops in a black SUV. He's like, I want to talk to you. It just makes you nervous. So I was just like, hey, watch me. And so he pulled into this empty parking lot, and I walked up to him, and I was just like, uh, I walked up to the car when it pulled up. I'll never forget this. He opens the car door, and he's just weeping. 
I, we haven't even said anything yet. He's just, his face is just pouring. He's just weeping. And I just, I just began to lead him through the run where I said, listen, I said, with your own voice, just begin to ask God to come into your life and change you. Ask him for, for, to forgive you. Let him know that you believe he died, you, you, he died on the cross for your sins and, and just begin to give your life to him. And I'm going to tell you something. He began to invite God into his life. And it was one of those incredible moments where, you know, I'm like there with my, my hand on his shoulder, you know, just available. God, use me. And I'm looking up like, this is the real deal. I was like, this is crazy. He's crying out to God, God, forgive me, change me. I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to be, I don't want to live this life anymore. And I just remember we, we exchanged information and man, we celebrated right there in this parking lot out in front of strip club. I remember when I got in the car, I got in the car and said, wow, God, you showed up at a strip club? You know, I was like, I can't believe this. You'd be surprised where God shows up when he's invited. And we've got people in this room that I'm sure are struggling with different things. You, you'll be surprised when God, where God shows up when you invite him. He'll show up in your car. The Spirit of God will show up in your car during rush hour, <clears throat> Mike. <clears throat> He'll show up in your car. He'll show up at the hospital when he's invited. He'll show up in the valley of the shadow of death. He'll show up, he'll show up in your marriage Maybe this morning you're struggling with, in your marriage or maybe you're struggling in your friendships. You never thought, maybe I ought to invite God to be the Lord over those relationships. You'd be surprised where he shows up when, he, when he's invited. A relationship with your kids, maybe you're struggling in that area. It doesn't matter what you're struggling at. Have you ever thought maybe if I invite Jesus into my relationships or into my life, maybe my situation would change? And I just thought this was incredible. You know, why did Jesus show up at this wedding? He was invited. It's just a powerful, a, a powerful, simple message, but powerful. And, uh, and I was just thinking about this, you know, this wedding. You know, everything was going great. Like, it was a great party. Like, it was customary at this time that if you were getting married, it'd be like a week-long celebration. We got some people who are going to get married pretty soon. Y'all want to just kick it for like a week? Y'all want to just have like a week-long party? That'd be awesome. Uh, and so, like, part of it was... Uh, that the, the couple would offer their community, especially in a place like Canaan. This is a small village town in Galilee. And so this was kind of a social event. The whole, sh- the whole city would show up for this. And so it was kind of customary for the couple to offer wine and food to all the people that would attend, right? And so from this passage and kind of from what we can tell, this was a pretty happening party. They were having fun, okay? And it's so much fun that, that really the wedding planner didn't even plan for either this much consumption or this many people to show up. And so it was getting crazy. Like, they were, they were having a blast. Everybody was kicking it. The couple was being celebrated. Uh, it was awesome. You know, Peter was probably about to hit that Cupid shuffle. It was going awesome because Peter would. I mean, he's, the, he's, he's crazy. Uh, and so anyway, it was just, I mean, they were having so much fun. And then something really bad happened. The wine ran out. And this is a problem. This is, a, this is more of a problem than you may realize. Look at John 2, verse 3. All right, it says, When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. The wine runs out. Okay, this is a huge problem because this is a major party foul. Okay, when it comes to weddings in this day and age, this was a huge party foul. So much so that the wedding couple could be uh, outcast in the community. Like you're gonna you're gonna have a party, but you're not gonna give. Like that's a problem. Okay, 
They could be an outcast in the community. This, is a, this could be a reflection or an omen on the marriage that it could run out of joy. I'm just saying this was a, this was a really, <clears throat> really bad situation. This wasn't like you running out of Dr. Pepper at the Super Bowl party. Hey, just run up to Tom Thumb and get some. It's not like that, okay? This is more significant in the lives of these people. And so something happens in the story that I've never seen before. I've never, I literally have read this story over and over. I've never seen this before. So Jesus' mom was there, and Mary walks up to him, and Mary says this, they don't have any wine. The conversation between Jesus and, and Mary, his mother Mary, reveals something very interesting about who Mary is. I really want you to take this to heart. Notice Mary doesn't walk up to Jesus and pull the mom card or anything like that, and she's like, you better fix this situation. And she doesn't even ask, she doesn't actually ask him to do anything. She presents an issue. She says, the wine's run out. And so Jesus, he says this, I know what you're thinking. Like, Jesus, you snapped on your mom, didn't you? Like, go get that switch. You know, like, and Jesus is probably 30, so, but he's about my age, actually. <laughs> mom, you, go get that switch. Uh, but no, I, I read some commentaries. I read some, uh, some people's take on this. This wasn't in uh, what Jesus said here. He says, woman, why does this concern you or me? It wasn't in, uh, like a negative thing. He wasn't like uh, being rude to his mother. Everybody says that this was him honoring his mother. Okay, so I know in our Western culture and the way that we read it, it sounds really rude. You would never say that to your mom. Uh, but this was, this was honoring. Some people say that the reason he called her woman and not mother was because he was trying to separate and, and show, like, I, at this moment, I'm not your son. I'm actually the son of God. And so he says woman instead of mother. Does that make sense? And so he says, my time has not yet come. He's, he's mentioning, talking about him being revealed as God, the son of God, okay? And so he's saying, my time has not yet come, all right? So why does this, why does this uh, involve me? And then Mary does something interesting right here that I thought was awesome. She, he's, he asked her a question. Why does this involve you and me? Mary goes, two servants, y'all servants over here, whatever he says, do it. And Mary walks away, <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? But I want to be like Mary. Because Mary, what Mary did is she presented the issue. She said, here's the issue. And I think there was an expectancy there. Not an expectancy because Mary was his mother. He wasn't, she wasn't pulling the mother card. There was an expectancy because she knew who he was and what he could do. And so it wasn't even a question because she knows what's going to happen. So he, she didn't even ask him. She just said, here's the issue. And Jesus is like, listen, my time's not yet come to reveal myself. And she turns and she looks at the servants and says, whatever he says, do it, do it. And what's interesting about that is she doesn't know how he's going to fix the issue. She doesn't know how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it, doesn't know any of the details. And then she talks to these guys and says, you guys do what he says to do. Part of me kind of thinks that maybe she knows that if God's going to do anything on this earth, he's going to involve you. And so he, she talks to the servants. He's like, I know that God's going to use you to change this situation. And then she walks away. 
God, I pray, I wish that I could just present an issue to God and have enough faith to say, I know you're going to solve this issue and walk away and not worry about it. Mary didn't come back and micromanage Jesus. Jesus, you doing it? You going to do it? I'm worried. I'm really worried. Are you going to make this happen? She didn't keep worrying about it. She just left it and said, Jesus, I know you're going to take care of it and walked away. And don't you want to be like Mary? Oh, I never saw that before. I thought that was awesome that Mary was just like, I know you're, because of who you are, you're going to change the situation. And so Jesus then moves on from there. The, well, let me say this. The other thing that I think uh, is interesting about this is her faith is what changed the situation. I, I'm not saying that this happens all the time, but I will say that there are moments in the Bible like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you remember that guy? He was waiting for the water to be stirred by the angels. Remember, we don't really know how all that works, but he was waiting to be healed. And when the water was stirred, he then would try to get into the pool or someone would move him into the pool and then he would be healed. Remember the disciples showed up? You know, and because of his faith, he was healed. There are moments in the scripture where people's faith actually move the heart of God and move him to act, okay? And I'm just saying, this, is, this seems to be one of those moments. Jesus was like, my time has not yet come. But maybe it was Mary's faith that said, I know you're going to do it. I know you can do it. And maybe it moved him to act. And, and, and then it, he goes on from there. Look at John 2, 6. Now, six stone water jars have been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. So Mary's gone. Jesus shows up, and he's like, all right, let's do it. And so he gets these guys, and he says, or let's just take a look at the bowls first. So it says six stone water jars, each held about 30 gallons. You realize how much? Do you do, can you do math that quick? I can't. I used a calculator. Uh, that's a maximum of like 180 gallons. That's 180 gallons. The Joker's about to make some wine. That's a lot of wine, okay? Uh, that's crazy. It's like 180 gallons of water. And what's interesting here is there's so much symbolism in this passage. He, there, there are bowls for Jewish purification. Okay, these are some bowls that were used in the temple where the priest would wash their hands, usually full of dirt. Okay, this is kind of a, this, this was, uh, what did I say here? It's, a, uh, it's an item of religious ritual, okay? These bowls are. He says, go get these, go get these bowls, okay? Bring them to, I want, you to, I want you to fill up these bowls, okay? And uh, it was interesting because the servants obeyed God when it didn't make sense. I mean, these were just some dudes at the party, and, and so, and you imagine how difficult it was. They had to fill 180 gallons. So they're probably going, filling up the water. Like, what is going on here? Like, water? Like, we're trying, I don't even know what's going on. They should have sent me to get some wine. Water? 180 gallons. I was kind of moved by this because I felt like, how many times have I prayed and cried out to God, God, I need a miracle in my life. I need something to change my life. And sometimes I was just going through the motions, just worshiping. God, help me. Help me change my situation. And, the, and these guys just kept going and kept going. I know, I know a pastor who's been praying for his son for years, believing that a miracle would happen. I know people have prayed for sick family members for years, believing that a miracle has happened. And sometimes it feels mundane. Sometimes you feel like it's going to, it's going to, you want to give up. Sometimes the water is just a common substance. What am I doing? Asking God for a miracle. And then Jesus tells them to do something. 
Check this out. He says, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. I kind of felt like, you know, there's some significance there. You know, the guy, the head waiter, didn't know where it came from. But the, the servants knew. There's people in this room who serve God every single day. You live, in, live with joy every single day in your workplace, in your families, in your homes. There are people that don't understand where it came from. Disciples, uh, those servants, they knew. They watched it happen. They knew who Jesus was. But the head waiter didn't know what had happened. He, he didn't understand. It was hard for him to comprehend. Like, we were out of wine, right? And he says something very interesting here. He said, the head waiter tasted the, wa- the water. He did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water, or though the servants had, uh, who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom, said the groom, come here, and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, but then after the people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. There's something very, very important. If you study Jewish culture, you'll know how significant this passage is because what, G, what, what is happening here is typically at the wedding, you would serve the fine wine first because people are uh, uh, like it. And, to, and then when they're desensitized to the wine or either they're drunk, you bring out the, the, the bad wine. It just makes sense, right? Because they don't even know the difference, right? And what the head waiter is saying is like, you serve the, the good wine at the beginning, but then you served an even better wine at the end. And I just can't help but think that this passage, what, what it's speaking to is that Jesus has come. Listen, the old religious way, the old covenant was good. It was, it was good. But the new way, Jesus is better, actually is best. And it was significant. And when, I think when you look at it through the eyes of a Jew, you understand that immediately, that the old way is good. <clears throat> But the new way is the best. The old covenant was good. The old way of getting close to God was good, but the new way is best. The new has come. And the significant thing about the bowls, they were just religious tools, right? They were empty, full of mundane substance. But God took it and he poured the new wine in it. The new wine representing joy. We're going to pray this morning. I, wanna, I just want to stop right there. I want to invite the band up here. We're going to pray this morning. We're going to have a time of prayer. <clears throat> and uh, let's do it like this. Let's do it like this. If you don't mind, everybody stand up. Just stand up this morning. <clears throat> I'm asking you, but you don't have to if you don't want to. <clears throat> and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to have, just so there's no distractions, everyone just kind of bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And I want to invite uh, several people to come and pray. Nobody looking around. I want you to know, too, that if you're like me and you're kind of old school, you want an altar where you come and pray. There's a section down here. The stage is is a, a place of prayer. Also, there are people on the sides of the movie theater right here by the stairs that have lanyards, and they would love to pray with you because sometimes you just need a person to pray with you. And so it's important. And so this morning, I want to ask you these questions. Maybe for the first time in your life, you're realizing that some of the struggles that you're going through are 
probably uh, part of it comes from the fact that you haven't invited God into your situation. You'd be surprised where God shows up. And maybe you've never invited God into your life ever. And you're struggling hard this morning. Maybe you've never invited God into your friendships. And you need to invite him in this morning. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you're struggling. And you need to invite him into your marriage. I don't know what your situation is, but sometimes we struggle so hard because we haven't invited the God who can transform joy, or excuse me, sorrow to joy, a God who can transform pain into happiness. See, listen, there's, there's so much God can do for you this morning. And if that's you, I want to kind of offer this time of prayer to you. There's another type of person here that I feel like I want to encourage you to really seek God this morning. Maybe there's a person in this room that would say this. I identify with the bowls. I've been going through just the religious motions. I, I've just been going through just doing the same old thing, living the same old Christian life, and, uh, and I lack joy. I lack the life of Jesus in my life this morning. I want to tell you that God wants to pour his spirit into you like he poured that new wine. He wants to set you on fire. He wants to show you his love, and this morning maybe that's you. Maybe you've just been going through the motions. Let your prayer this morning be this. God, change me. Come into my life. Give me joy. God, fill my life with your presence. God, maybe that's you this morning. We're going to play this song, and I want to invite you to pray. You can pray from your seat. You can ask somebody to pray. You can come down to this altar, whatever you feel like you need to do. But really seek your heart. Try not to think about the people beside you. God is here, and he wants to do something in your life. The all-powerful Jesus Christ wants to change your life. He wants to transform it. He wants you to know what true love and joy and life is in him. So as the band plays, I want to invite you to come and pray.